Hi, everybody. This is Jim Cornette, pro wrestling legend, and you're listening to the Book in the Territory Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast. This is the artist formerly known as Daryl Van Horn, James Mitchell, the Sinister Minister, and I'm here to let you know I would rather slam my cock in a car door than to miss the dulcet tones of Hard Body Harper, my illegitimate son on Booking the Territory podcast. Who <laughs> messy this is professional wrestler Jimmy Vine, the Boogie Wicker Man. Tell my people, my brothers and sisters, don't you dare, don't you dare miss Booking the Territory. Oh, yeah. This is a one man gang. You're listening to Booking the Territory Pro Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to this week's episode of our Smoky Mountain Rat Wrestling Podcast. Wait, we finished Smoky Mountain Wrestling a few weeks back, a month ago or so. Yeah, episode 200. Three years and nine months we accomplished. Nope, this is Mike, and I am here, not for a new episode of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but to put up part one of my discussion with Dirty Dutch Mantel. Uh, this this current episode, if you're a Patreon member, is already up on our Patreon feed and has been there for some time now at tinyurl.com slash patreonbtt. Okay, I'm going to make the sell here, everybody. So, yes, this is up early for Patreon members, but there's a lot of other stuff up on our Patreon feed at tinyurl.com slash patreonbtt. If you love what we do on BTT, please become a patron. You get tons of other content. There's over 200 plus episodes there. But back to the point about this episode. So I had the pleasure of finally speaking to Dirty Dutch Mantel. Um, a.k.a. Zeb Coulter in the WWE. But Dutch and I had a wonderful conversation about his time in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, and he talked about many other things as well. He talked about some WWE stuff and whatnot, but we had a great conversation about his time in Smoky, and it was a lot of fun. And uh, one of the main things we talk about in part one right here is him and Bob Cottle, because as all of you know, if you've listened to our Smoky Mountain show, hopefully you have if you're listening to this. If you haven't, go back and listen to them all. I think we did a, we did a good job at times. We did a terrible job at other times. But we had a lot of fun covering the entire run of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, 200 episodes. But Dutch Mantel was the color commentator for a little bit more of the first 100 episodes. Maybe 103, 4, 5, I can't remember. But uh, basically for almost uh, the first two years of Smoky, Dutch Mantel was the color commentator with Bob Cottle. And those two had a wonderful commentary relationship it was um they had great great chemistry it was it was wonderful to watch so anyway uh this is my conversation this is part one with dutch mantel that was recorded a while back and again like i said it's up for patreon members if you're not a patron uh if you're a patron you would have already heard this but we appreciate you listening again if you aren't and um do me a favor if you like this show and love what we do in this interview with dutch and we've had Cornette on and some others on and whatnot Hit share on Facebook, retweet it on Twitter when I post it there, and help us grow the show. We'd appreciate it. But for now, I won't hold you anymore. I won't hold it to you anymore, or hold you up anymore, I should say. This is part one with Dutch Mantel. There is a second part, and I'm not sure when I'll be able to post that one, but it will be up eventually. And um, But enjoy. Enjoy Dutch Mantel, and um, if you uh, enjoy this... Dude, do me a favor. Tweet Dutch. Send Dutch a message on Twitter and tell Dutch you appreciated him coming on because he did say he acknowledged the fact that a lot of people wanted to hear him on this show. So 
Go ahead and tell Dutch thank you if you're on Twitter for coming on BTT. Well, all that said, uh, this is Mike. Enjoy part one with Dirty Dutch Mantel. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of Booking the Territory, the Unprofessional Wrestling Podcast, where today we're finally talking to the one and only Dirty Dutch Mantel. Uh, we're going to talk to him about some Smoky Mountain Days. If you're a patron of ours, you may be getting this a little bit early, and if you're a non-patron, no worries. We always put our uh, podcast out to everyone. So, uh, Dutch, uh, let me welcome you into uh, to this show. We've had a number of people, Daryl Van Horn, Jimmy Cornette, Tracy Smothers, Les Thatcher, to name a few, have been a uh, guest on our SMW pod. So, uh, Dutch, we're done with Smoky Mountain and all of our reviews now. How you doing, man? Welcome to the show. I'm, do- I'm, do- I'm doing good. So how are you? And I'm actually glad to, glad to be on your podcast. I, I don't listen to podcasts, but I, I read Twitter and I read what you guys write. And, and there's a lot of interest in, seem like, thanks to you and some more, uh, I guess, podcasts. There's a lot of renewed interest in, in Smoky Mountain. And I've actually never been asked to do any podcast. I, I think, I, I, I mean, I've been asked. But this is the first one I've ever done just concerning Smoky Mountain. I've done podcasts, but it usually took in my career or um, more WWE or WWF or WCW or, you know, things like that. But this is the first one that I've been that actually focuses strictly on Smoky Mountain. So I'm glad to be here. Thank you, Dutch. Uh, you, it's funny you say that. Daryl Van Horn, James Mitchell, he's told me the exact same thing when he came on about two years ago. He said, I've talked about WCW a lot. I've talked about many other stories a lot. But he's like, this is the first time I'm able to really talk in depth about Smokey. And um, we had a lot of fun. So uh, we're glad to have you. And, and Dutch, the, the people have been asking for you. We, it took us three years and nine months to get through the entire Smoky Mountain run. The people have been wanting to hear from you uh, the entire time, so I am uh, gracious to have you. So let's get started, if that's okay with you. Okay, let's let's run some questions, Bobby. All right, so Dutch, um, uh, I, I'm actually going to play this promo for you, and you let me know if you can hear it or not. But there was an infamous promo back in Smoky where Robert Fuller. Uh, mentioned he had problems with the IRS and his women giving him trouble, but he wasn't going to do the Von Erich thing. And I kind of want to get your thoughts about that. I want to know if you knew it was coming. I want to know, uh, and I think I know the answer, but I want to know that. And I just want to know your overall thoughts on this. Here, I'm going to play it for you. You should be able to hear the audio as it comes through right now. Stay with a quality in East. All right, fans, with us right now, the stud stable. What about the bluegrass brawl? Little fellas, let me tell you something. Stay out of my face and hold the microphone up high, because stud's going to tell you, I got 15 women running around on me, IRS up my rear end, son. I got all kinds of problems, but I'm going to guarantee you, son, I ain't going to do the Von Erich thing. Don't you know what I'm talking No, I'm not, because I found out now that we got the match we've been waiting on. This is the one that puts everything. Now, Dutch, you didn't look surprised when he hit that line. And we know back then stuff wasn't, uh, you know, scripted out. That was just Robert Fuller in all of his glory because he used to cut great promos. Uh, Dutch, what do you remember about that moment in Smoky Mountain? That was actually episode 59 from March 13th of 1993. Hey, when Robert did an interview, he didn't practice interviews. He says what he says at the moment. They could have warned him to say something else, but he just. You know, we didn't have scripted promos. They did. We didn't have a writer 
handing us a piece of paper. All right, talk about this. That's what made the promos good. That was vintage Robert. Uh, what I would have, and I heard what he said, but I mean, I mean, I, I think it was in bad taste. And I thought maybe Jimmy would have edited that out, but he didn't. So, but I heard that promo the same time everybody else heard it. I mean, from the first time. And it is what it is. And I think that's one thing that made Smoky Mountain uh, as good as it was because it was just whatever was there, you got to see it warts and all. So, and yeah, I was kind of, like I said, he was in bad taste to do that. But but Robert run by it so fast. And I think Jimmy kind of noticed it too. But, and then when we went in the back, nobody ever said nothing. And it was just business as usual. It, it was it was something. I, I as we reviewed that episode, um, that was the episode where Arn made his debut too in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, which was uh, crazy at that. But um, Jimmy Golden looked up like, "Oh no, don't do that!" And then honestly, you 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 just played it cool like you would normally do on any other promo. You kind of like, oh, you you raised your eyebrow and hit a little, but but um, it was something else. I I will say this. Uh, Robert Fuller was something else when it came to his promos, and we loved his promos, not not only in Smokey, but everywhere else. So uh, I, I knew you knew it wasn't coming. I knew it wasn't scripted. I've actually heard Cornette talk about this promo, too. Uh, it was something else, though, uh, back in the day. So, um, well, what, did, ahead, <clears throat> what did Cornette say about it? Did he, uh, did he think about trying to edit it out? I don't re- I, I, I he didn't think about editing out if I remember correctly when he talked about it on his show but he did say you know I asked him the same question did you know it was coming obviously I knew the answer to it um uh he he didn't know it was coming he just said you know that was he was just one of those things you know I kind of told Robert gave him gave him gave him a bullet point and say hey you know kind of work this into your promo and and he said Fuller went out there and just just you know, just did, did his thing. I mean, that's what Robert Fuller would do. I mean, if you watch any of his promos back in the day. So uh, Jimmy did not know it was coming. Cornette, that is. Uh, Golden, I don't think, knew it was coming either, although I've never asked him that. Just like you said, you didn't know it was coming. I'm sure Bob Cottle didn't either. But Cornette did not know it was coming. And and um, I want to say when Cornette answered the question on his show, you know, said, you know who did? You know who? You know who else didn't know it was coming? The audience. Robert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, Robert. Robert. He just said it. I, I swear to God, I guarantee you. He said it on the spur of the moment. That's what he said. And he didn't even, I bet he, he didn't even think at all before he went out there of saying that. But it came out that way. Well, and that and, was Robert. And he was trying, and the, 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 the spirit of the promo was, you know, he was, he was complaining about the problems that, you know, you all had had right at that moment with the heavenly bodies and the rock and roll. And the spirit of the promo was he was saying, like, you know, the IRS is on my rear end. My, my, my women are on my rear end. But with all that said and all those problems, I'm not going to, you know, commit suicide. And it's probably it is a tasteless joke. I mean, obviously, look, we're in 2020 now, man. It, you, you do this nowadays. Lord knows what kind of pitchforks you'd have coming after you. But the point is, like, that's the emphasis he was trying to make. And to your point, I think he had he didn't know he was going to say it until it came out at that moment. Yeah, well, he didn't know it. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, what Dutch? Do you, you know, Robert Fuller? We 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 love Robert Fuller in Smokey. Him and Jimmy Golden and you. There was an angle. It's one of our favorite angles that we reviewed when we did Smokey. Was the Stud Stable versus the Rock and Roll versus the Heavenly Bodies? Is there anything in your mind that sticks out from that feud that you have any good? Uh, you know, any other good Robert Fuller stories from uh, that 
that moment and that time in, in Smoky Mountain? Because it was a really good feud between the three teams. You know, you and Jimmy were friends and then y'all kind of fell out because you sided with the Fuller, you know, with Fuller and Golden because they wanted a shot at the, the tag titles. It, it was just it was it was really well done. You got any great memories from from that feud at all? <clears throat> well, actually, most of my Smoky Mountain uh, recollections, actually, I was more or less the color commentator most of that time. My wrestling there was limited uh, to the, basically, most of my wrestling <clears throat> I did there is when the we did the angle with the, the rock and roll and, and the midnight and the, the three three-man teams and... Uh, but I'm mostly my recollections of Smokey are mostly doing TVs and doing those, uh, doing the voiceovers with Bob Collins. You know, sometimes we would do almost four tapes in one night. And to try to go back in those hills of Virginia and West Virginia and do three tapes or three hours of, of TV wrestling, actually it was very, very taxing. Uh, to get that done and to sit there. And I never went to a voiceover session with Bob Cole. I mean, we, we were never called to Knoxville to a studio to voiceover anything. If it wasn't done that night, it didn't get done. So we had one shot at it and it was live. And of course, of course, Jimmy took it back to the studio and he tinkered with a he would edit this out or edit this out, but I don't think I don't think that much was edited out of that show. From what I saw when I was sitting at the table and then watching it back, uh, not a lot of editing was done on that show. I mean, as far as taking commentary out, and probably not a lot of taking just uh, uh, the actual wrestling footage out. It, it was what it was, and we put it together. It, it was as old school as it could get. You got what you got, and let's run with it. As as somebody with my co-host who has watched all 200 episodes of Smokey and the early stuff, obviously, with you and Bob, I can I can say, you know, you can tell usually when a match is kind of cut and you can tell when there are edits made because, you know, guys will end up in a different spot in the ring. Even if it's just a second, you can tell. I, I can tell you, yeah, unless it was like the big shows, the Volunteer Slam or things like that, the, you know, weekly TVs where you did the three to four tapings, you're absolutely right. Basically, whatever was put out there was what was put out there and what was what you and Bob did. And you're right. You and you and Bob did a great job on commentary. I mean, you were the perfect you were the perfect um, yin to his yang, I guess, is the words I'm looking for. You were the you were the perfect uh, spoil to him as you mess with Bob Cotto all the time. Um, how was it working with Bob? Oh, it was great. Bob was a great straight straight commentator. Yes. And I think what made us work is we never bickered. <laughs> you know, I would hold those signs up and then Bob would say, what was in that sign, Dutch? And I'd say, ah, nothing you'd be interested in, Bob, or something. And and he always pretended not to know what the signs read. And never He never alluded to them at all, which I think added to it. And, and you know, I, I even took that... Uh, the the sign gimmick. I even took it to WWE with me because I thought the sign gimmick was better than doing a promo. You know, you could put on that sign, and they'll read. They'll read the sign. And and I'm a strong believer in let the fans decide what it means. 
I mean, you've heard them commentators say, well, this means this and this means that, you know. I mean, these fans aren't, aren't, aren't stupid, and they can put their own meaning to anything. But I started doing those signs, and it, and it took off. People liked it. It would be a stupid sign. One time I held a sign upside down. <laughs> yeah. And no, nobody ever told me I had the sign held upside down. So you know people stopped the tape to back it up and then turn their head sideways to see what the sign said. And when I held the sign upside down, I didn't even know I had it upside down. And nobody told me, and we just hit, hit run exactly like that. I mean, Smoky Mountain was just, uh, just pure off the cuff. Hey, what was that? What was that? A series or whatever the WWE had. It was like a small Southern promotion, and it was like a. South you know what Paul, I'm talking about? Southpaw Regional Wrestling with well, the clips. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I I never saw that. Was that any Was that any good? Well. It, I mean, it mocked basically Memphis, you know, Smoky, Mid South. It mocked all the great Southern territories. It's well, um, if well, you go let, into let, it, let me say this. Let me say this: when they were mocking uh, those Southern territories, because this is what and and now you're from down south, right? Oh, I'm from the deep south, New Orleans, Louisiana. Well, there is a thing called. I call it uh, geographical elitism. Because if you go up north and you have a southern accent, I mean, they immediately, they they judge you by that. By And I think, especially New York and Vince, they judge southern wrestling as being hick and really slow and backward, which is, but they copy everything that Memphis did. Everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, let me say, well, that's that stupid Memphis stuff. And let them, let them get to a point where they need something to boost it, to boost a pay-per-view. And they weren't hesitant to steal anything that Memphis had done. And, and without, without apology, too. I mean, they would, they would just take it. So it, to me, that told me, well, they'll knock it because they think they're better than what we did down south. People used to ask me, especially about Memphis wrestling, why did y'all do all those crazy angles? Why did you fight out in the crowd? And I said, because we goddamn needed to eat next week. That's why we did it. I mean, we were in these towns 52 weeks a year. We was in Memphis 50, 52, 52 Mondays in a row. And we may have missed a Monday every now and then. But when you go to a town over and over and over and over, not only do you got to give them a show on Monday night, you got to give them a trailer for next week. And then you got to do a TV and then continue that and then go back in there. Have a couple of bad shows and your house falls off to nothing. Now, see, you can do that in, in, in New York. How often did they run New York back in the old days? Every six weeks? That's how often they would run Madison Square Garden, every six weeks. They wouldn't run it every week. I guarantee you, if you had the WWF go into Madison Square Garden on a Monday night and have a show and then come back the next Monday, let's say they draw 20,000 people. If they come back the next Monday, they'll be about 12,000. They come mm-hmm. back the next Monday, they're down to 7,000. So it would finally, seriously, it would probably bottom out at about 4,000 people. 
because I've been in the garden with about 4,000 people in there. And believe me, you could shoot a shotgun off of that place in the middle of the ring and not hit anybody. <laughs> so that's why, that's why we did. And I'll tell you when that was, you know, when they brought in the goon and they brought in, uh, you, you remember that period in WWE? Yeah, uh, uh, I'm about to tell you, the and, goon, T.L. Oh, Hopper, and, uh, yep. Right. And they brought all those guys in, put them on the show, and it, it just bombed. And uh, and I'm 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 gonna say right now what's wrong with WWE is 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 how the old Southern territories used to operate because we always told a story. We had a story that had a definite beginning. Then you had the middle part where the conflict was, and then you had a resolution to it, or a seeming resolution to it that wasn't the resolution. And then we went on down, and then we go back and join it again. That's why we had to make things last in these southern territories like Smoky Mountain, like Memphis, like Mid-South, like Florida, because you only had a set number of guys. If you really look at what WWE has now, they got like on the main roster, they got like 70 guys, 70 talents. Now, you cannot use 70 talents on a show. You just can't do it. I think the most you could probably use is 20 or 22, and that's a lot. But I don't know how you keep, uh, and there is a thing, too, having too many stories. But WWE, to me, right now, and I don't even watch it hardly anymore, uh, they have no stories that interest me. And and that's the problem. But they they, they don't know. I don't I don't I don't think even Vince knows how to fix it. He knows the problems, but I think Vince is to- torn in so many ways. Plus, he's 74 years old, he's probably tired. And he tried to, you know, he tried to get Heyman and Pritchard to come in to help him, and it didn't work out too well for Paul because I think Paul had a a definite plan what he wanted to do and Vince didn't like it, so he said, "All right, well, we'll get somebody else." This business is not as simple as what it looks sometimes, but it is simple. It's a simple story that you got to you got to carry out, and that's what Smoky Mountain did well. That's what Memphis did well. That's what you know Mid South did well. They had stories, and the people knew what the story was about and how how they wanted it to end. I completely agree. There's an I I want to ask you one more question about the signs, and then I'm going to go to one of the angles in Smokey that I kind of that is is will emphasize what you just explained uh, clearly. Uh, you were talking about real quick. You were you were you were starting to talk, and you we were talking about the signs for a minute with you and Bob, and that that started around episode 30 maybe 40 of Smokey, where you were messing with Bob, where you were writing the signs to start the shows. Um, Cornette, I asked him about this when he came on. I said, you know, uh, what did you think of the signs? And he, and he kind of said s- some of what you just said. He's like, you know, Dutch and Bob are going through these marathon TV tapings, three and four shows that we're doing. So, you know, four hours in this little town. He's like, I think Dutch at first just did it to kind of entertain himself at, to, to start things off. Now, you kind of did say, you know, it was it was it was a joke and kind of having some fun. And obviously it was your idea. Um, Bob seemed to be a really good sport about the signs and what you were writing, even though they made fun of him. So if I heard you right with those signs, he he knew what was on them, but he 
he sold it as if he didn't, which was great. Or which was a honestly, Dutch, it was a great little snarky, funny way to kick off the shows where it made you look like the heel that you were. And Bob Cottle was sympathetic because he's the straight man trying to call this. And here you are, you know, being a, a clown and a buffoon. Well, he knew what some of them said. Okay. I don't think he knew what all of them said. I don't think he cared, to tell you the truth. <laughs> he, he knew it would be something that wouldn't be <laughs> the only one that uh, I ever had. That, and I would make fun of Bob. I said, yes, that is Bob's real hair, whatever. Then I might say, don't adjust, <laughs> don't adjust your set. It's just Bob or something <laughs> like that. And, but yeah, and I did it just to, and I would go up there and I'd have them bring me. I'd, I'd tell the production guy up there, I said, hey, have me about four or five, you know, poster boards. And I would make them up before the show and I'd take it out there. And, and he always never, uh, and that's why I said, that's what made Bob so good is because we we never argued, we never bickered Bob. And like, sometimes like he just tolerated me. I remember he said one time, well, that's, that's easy for you to say. How can you say that? I said, well, I don't know. I just, I just say one word and then I put another word next to that one and I put another one and, and, and then it comes out. I don't know. How do you do it, Bob? <laughs> but, and I, and I had a great time because I, I love Bob Carl. He's one of the easiest guys in the world to work with. Nothing, nothing phases him. He just sits there and, you know, if a bomb blew up out there, he said, well, what was that? You know, and, and we just continued to go on. But he, and I always thought he was, Bob was always like, to me, even when I was kind of growing up and listening to him in mid-Atlantic, he's a perfect announcer. He was, you know, yeah. he, he did, he didn't get overly, overly excited. He just called the action, and, which is one thing I think that WWE commentators need to do, because, but they can't because of the system in WWE. And I know this is about Smoky Mountain, but if you really look at uh, the the commentators kind of to me, I listen to them because those are the guys that you're hearing the most of on that show. If it's a 42 minute show, uh, if you take out for interviews, it's really 30 minutes of hearing most of those commentators. You hear them the most. So they got to be, they got to not only tell the story, but kind of lay out when it's time to lay out and then hop on it when it's, when it's hot. WWE, they don't do that. They're, they're too busy pushing merch and pushing something on the network and doing something else and some special coming up on <clears throat> on the network. And and the the match, I don't care. Sometimes I, the match takes second place. But I think it's Smoky Mountain. I think it was it was a good mix that we talked about the in ring action, what was coming up, and we we talked wrestling for an hour. The show was an hour, right? Smoky Mountain. I don't even remember now. It's an hour yeah, show, yeah. correct? Yeah, well, one hour minus yeah. local promos and commercials. So it adds up to really, and people never think of this, but really, an hour show on TV really uh, equals forty-two minutes of actual content. Right. That's what Jimmy was obliged to provide on that show because, you know, the, the TV, they had their spots and we're going to take this and this and this. We'll give you guys 42 minutes to get your stuff in. And that's what we ran with. So 
And I forgot what the original question was, but that's my answer. Well, no, I was just I, I was just pointing out how Bob Cottle, you you and Bob Cottle and Dutch. I'm not just saying this. I've I've said this for. I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you now. Finally, I've said this for the entire run that you had with Bob as his, as his um as his color guy, uh, color commentator. You and Bob are a very underrated commentary team because. Bob Cotto is the perfect, in your own words, he's like the perfect straight guy. He doesn't, like, nothing rattles him. He kind of just calls what he's seeing in the ring. And then you would just do your thing that only Dutch Mantel can do, and I mean that sincerely, where... Now, I'll give you an example. There was there was an episode of Early Smokey where Robert Gibson is in the ring, and you and Bob are on commentary, and Bob's, you know, he's calling the match. You know, all right, Gibson, hip toss. He went for an arm drag there, and all right, he's got him in an arm lock, or whatever. And then you you tell Bob, um, did you hear about Robert Gibson's last album? It went sheetrock. And Bob, Bob Cottle's not ready for it. Bob Cottle pops. He can't he can't contain himself, Dutch. It's hilarious. He's 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 trying with all his might, you can tell. But but he kind of chuckles and then he gets back to it. But it's that little interplay where, you know, Bob is the perfect straight guy to your just debauchery at times, where you're just making fun of things. And and the, the example you also gave where you're where Dutch where Bob's like well, Dutch, how do you say that? How do you come up with that? And, and you're like, well, I just take one word and I put it after that word and then I put another word after that. That's that's what I'm talking about. Dad. You guys had the perfect chemistry. Uh, you guys were the perfect tandem in Smokey. And that's including Jim Ross and Les Thatcher, who were great. That You you and Bob were perfect. You were perfect together. And again, I'm not just saying that because well, I'm talking I, to you. Well, I appreciate that. And I did think we were good because it was it was easy. You know, when something is easy, it's a natural fit. And I never felt pressure with Bob. I don't think Bob felt pressure with me. And because I have seen, I have seen announced partners go out there and try to outdo each other. I remember one time in WCW, they had Paul Heyman out there with Jim Ross. They literally almost got into a verbal uh, match on TV trying to outdo <laughs> each other. <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking about? It was, it was, Heyman was just starting out and he was trying to be the, the fun as New Yorker. And, and I think, I think he really irritated Jim on this program. And it, it kind of settled down after that, because I think, I don't know who, who got them together and told them to stop it, but it was actually distracting from the show. Bob and I, we would talk about the match and if we threw a, a few gems in, like, and I had forgotten saying that you hear about his latest album, it was Sheetrock. I had forgotten about that. Actually, I laughed about it when I heard it because I'd forgotten I'd said it. But it was it was things like that. And if you listen for that, I bet the people at home said, what did he say? But back in those days, you couldn't back the tape up. You either heard it or you'd have to hold, uh, either tape it and and go back and listen to it. But there was no like stop the tape, back it up, what did he say? But and I think that was one that was one of the beauties of, of a Smoky Mountain. So I, I really enjoyed my time with Bob. Yeah, there there was another when Daryl Van Horn brought the mummy in and uh there's another great line where where Bob Cotto is trying to call it straight. And I mean, he's struggling because it's a mummy. And, and, you know, I mean, even Cornette has said the mummy was a joke. And, and Bob Cotto's like, 
Looks like he needs a vacuum or something, Dutch. And he pops you. You're, you're just kind of stuck. Just like, I can't believe I'm calling this mummy match. But y'all were, y'all, I mean, look, that it's, and I, I point the mummy out because that's, I mean, how do you call that? But you guys did it. You called it right. And I don't know. There was just such great interplay with, with you and Bob. I had to ask you because I, 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 I hold Bob in highest regard. He's a, he's a legendary announcer. And um, I don't know if he gets it. He gets his just due from the people that know. <laughs> But mainstream wrestling yeah, fans now. Who was who was the guy? And I can't. I know who he is. But what is his name? Rick Rub. Oh, Rick Rubin. You know, the whole time I was at Smoky Mountain, I never knew of Rick Rubin's involvement. Never knew. I, I believe that because I've heard. I don't know I've how, heard Cornette. Cornette has said that a bunch of times, like how most of the guys never knew through throughout, throughout the run or they found that at the very end. Uh, so, so I believe it. And because you left, I forget the episode number. Um, but you, you know, b- by the time you left, yeah, I, I don't think nobody knew at that point. So it makes sense that, you know, you would not have known. Um, again, most, I think most of the guys didn't know until the very end or many of them. I was in Los Angeles with WWE doing my, my last run there, which was my final run there. And, uh, somebody told me that later on in the night, that Rick Rubin was there and he wanted to meet me. I never met the guy and he wanted to meet me because he got the tape every week and he was a big fan and he enjoyed it and he wanted to meet me, but then he had to leave. I had to leave and I, I missed meeting him. So I really, I really wanted to meet him, but I never knew that he was uh, the money guy at all. Nobody knew. And, and I, I did a hundred, I think I did 104 shows. With Smoky Mountain, yeah, that sounds which is right. I after existence, after existence, right? That was that was two years, I think. Yeah, I, I did a hundred and maybe maybe it was around that number, maybe right under a hundred or something. And I used to get the tape every week, and you know, I'm I'm not a tape watcher. I mean, I'm not a I'm not a podcast listener. I just don't do it. I don't know why, but I never watched the tape because I'd already I'd already voiced it over one time and I don't I, I wasn't going to listen to it to critique my work or Bob's work because once it's done it's done you can't go back and redo it so sometimes I don't listen to it in case I do make a mistake which I made probably 10,000 so if we, if we were going back and correcting what I said we'd be there all night but uh, like I said I enjoyed my time there and some of those I, I used to make fun of some of those towns. I said, you know, some of these people never leave these towns up here. And Bob said, well, why do you say that, Dutch? I said, because <laughs> it's true. they can't read a rat McNally roadmap. Hell, you know. You, I mean, and we would go back, I swear, you would get busy on those turns. <laughs> those turns, and you go this way, and then you go that way. And, you know, I've almost gotten sick in some of those West Virginia hills and those mountains because there's such windy roads and it wasn't too bad in the, in the spring summer and early fall but then it got cold weather and then the roads would be icy and slippery and i'm thinking what moron would book this place up here i mean and i used to say some i don't know where they get these towns i think they i used to say this in memphis i said i think they sit back with a dart board and they throw a dart at this map and wherever it lands, 
that's where we're going to. I used to make a joke in Memphis. I said, you know, we went to this town. It, it didn't draw worth no crap. It was like 50, 75 people there. <laughs> I remember making a statement. You know, maybe you should book some towns where some people live, maybe, so they can actually come to this stuff. I said, there's nobody here. And I used to make a joke when you, see, we didn't have, we didn't have GPS back in the day. We had a ramming road roadmap. And then you pull into a town. So you're supposed to be in some town. It's supposed to be at the high school or whatever. And then you pull in, and this is your first indication you were going to bond. You would pull in there, and you'd go into 7-Eleven or some convenience store, and you say, hey, uh, where's the wrestling at tonight? And they say, wrestling? Say, wrestling? <laughs> he said, yeah, that's what I said. I ain't hear no wrestling here. You knew right then you're going to bomb. And, of course, I was never wrong. You go to high school, and Pete never heard about it. Nobody else heard of it either, and nobody came. So, and that's always a, uh, it's always great to drive two hours, two and a half, three hours to go to a, to an event, to a show and have about a hundred and hundred fifty people show up and it's bombs. So, and every, yeah. everybody is in any type of entertainment has done that bands, unless you're just the top name, especially wrestling, you go in these towns sometimes, it's just. Sometimes I've been on some shows, the, the wrestlers, if we had a riot, the wrestlers would have to help the fans because we had them outnumbered. So, and, and that's why when I watch WWE now, and I see no fans out there in the, in the crowd. Well, hell, that's nothing new. You guys like me, hell, I've done that a lot of times. I've wrestled one time, and this one when I first started out. I think there were like eight or ten fans out there, and I think like three or four of them are family. <laughs> so that's nothing new for me. I, I've uh, been at a show once, Dutch, where there was like six people, <laughs> and that's all well, I'll it's, say. It, it, it's happened. Yeah. And I asked promoter one time. There was nobody out there. I said, "Why don't you just give them the money back? Let's go home." No, yeah. they paid for it. And this is what I hated to, hated to do it. Oh, yeah, the, the crowd is down. And it's not very good. And some guys would go out there. And it's really hard to get. It's really hard to get motivated for no people. Now, WWE, you get motivated because you're getting big money. Yeah, You better go out there and you better bust your butt. Because, see, their money is coming in off that TV money. Our money back in the day... We only had two sources of revenue for the wrestlers. You know, you get paid off the gate. You get paid off live attendance. If it wasn't there, you didn't get paid. Mm -hmm. And then if you were a good guy, you could go sell a few gimmicks, T-shirts, or uh, some photos. But if you were a bad guy, you just screwed. Yeah. Because at least that was what I ran on in Memphis a lot of times was just what I call my gimmick money. That's what I ran on. I made more money off my gimmick one than I did working. And a lot of guys would tell you that. Rock and roll would tell you that. Oh, yeah. They, yeah. Made, they made their money off their pictures, off their T-shirts, off their gimmicks. Off, that's how they made their money. Yeah, I've talked to and promoters Tracy Smothers. Were, promoters were smart. 
yeah, promoters were smart to let those guys do that <clears throat> because that took some of the pressure off them to pay these guys what they needed. That was part one of my conversation with Dutch Mantel. Part two will be out maybe next week, maybe in a couple weeks. But in the meantime, thank you for all of your support of Booking the Territory. We appreciate all the listens, all the downloads. And like I said, please do us a favor. Hit share on Facebook when you see this show posted. Hit retweet on Twitter when you see this show posted. We definitely would appreciate it. But for now, uh, until uh, the next NWA Saturday Night on TBS show or until part two with Dutch Mantel, We thank you for listening to BTT and for Harper and Doc and Lance, who are not with me today. Book it.